Hello, everyone, and welcome to Parkour Ed. This is Colin Daly. I'm a teacher at the International French School Singapore, and I host the Parkour Ed podcast, an English language podcast where I talk to all kinds of people here at IFS to find out how they get here, what were the paths that they took to end up at this multicultural, unique school. And today I have a special guest, and As always, I let my guests introduce themselves so that we can find out about their name, how to pronounce it, and where their name comes from, and anything special about that. So, without further ado, I'm Jérôme Chaise. For an American, I would say Jerome, right? Yes. What do your English-speaking friends call you? They call you Jerome? Yeah, I like this. Yeah, right. Jerome, yeah. That's good. And Chaise, I know it's not spelled like the chair. I know it's not. It's, it sounds like the chair. <laughs> it sounds indeed, yeah. What kind of name is Chaise? It's from the um, Corrèze. The Corrèze is the district in the center of France, and there's the name of my father, obviously. So in this area... There are many people called Chez. And are the, they mostly your family members, or is it just eh, a really common name, like Smith or <laughs> Dupont or something no, like that? It's, not, it's very common in this area. Most of them are uh, family, even though I don't know them. When were you born, Jerome? I was born on the 24th of May, 1977. 1977. Yeah. 1977, the year Star Wars came out. <laughs> <laughs> The first Star Wars. The f really? The, the first, first Star one? Wars, yeah. Uh, that's cool. 1977. So you're born in 1977 in uh, Corrèze? Yeah. Ah, no, I was not. My, my father was born? born in Corrèze. I was born in Le Mans, okay. which is a town uh, between uh, Brittany and Paris. Very the, famous for their 24-hour road Exactly. Yes, exactly. And their, uh, their rillettes. Yeah, but we also... The pork spread. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. So did you grow up in Le Mans? Yeah, until my 21st birthday. What region is Le Mans? Is it Brittany or is it Normandy or is it... Uh, it's a... Uh, Pays de la Loire, and the district is uh, La Sarthe. La Sarthe. What was your family like? Do you have a lot of brothers and sisters? Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I have three brothers. Three. I'm the eldest of the four kids okay. that my parents had. All brothers? Yeah. No sisters? No, all, only brothers. Okay. So I, I heard sometimes it was a bit tough. <laughs> <laughs> But you're the eldest, so you, I had, am, you yeah. had the physical advantage at least for many years. Right? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's pretty rough and tumble. What kind of living situation did you have? Did you live in a rural area, in a city? We lived in town. So okay. It was uh, not the center of the town, but we had a house, quite big house, two rooms. So when my third brother was born, then we shared the room. So we had two rooms, two for my two brothers and another room for me and my youngest brother. Right. But we were often going on holidays in Le Corrèze. Okay, to see the family? All the chaises, the yeah. distant chaises. <laughs> yeah, to see my grandmother because she had a farm there okay. and we still have the house. Uh -huh. So that's the place where we all gather. So your dad grew up on a farm? Yeah. Okay, so you, yeah. same as me, my father grew up on you a farm. You too? I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in a small city, but always went back to the farm. There Round. was still work to do. There's always work to do on the Always, farm. Yeah. always. It's a good school. It's a good place to learn yes. about life. Yes. Uh, yeah, you agree. Yeah. yeah. But it's also a good place to learn that you're happy you don't live on a farm anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you can spend time in town for studies or whatever, then you can have uh, both advantages, right? Exactly. exactly. And when you go to the farm, you have space, yeah. can play. That's right. Freedom. F exactly. And uh, access to adult things like driving machinery and yeah. motorcycles when you're really not old enough and you shouldn't be doing that. But apparently when you're on a farm, it's okay. I don't know, I don't know why. <laughs> Yes, it's true. <laughs> Playing with sharp tools and things that, you know, yeah. you can't uh, do My father didn't want so much, but, yeah, it's true, you can still do that. Anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm always curious to know about the paths that people take in their development and everything. And one of the first things that starts for us is language. Mm-hmm. So I assume you spoke French at home. Were both of your parents French speakers? Yeah. But you speak English very well. And mm, I, thank it's you. probably because you've traveled a lot. But mm. was there anything else? Did you get an early start at learning language? What was your language path? I, I started to learn English when I was in junior high school. So is that like CZM or yeah. sixth grade? Yeah, okay. sixth grade, yeah. So not before that, though? No. Okay. And I was, uh, I don't know what happened, but I was always quite good in uh, learning English. Okay. Then I learned vocabulary, and then it's true, afterwards I traveled, right. which helped my level. And you started with English? Yeah. Did you have a choice between German, English, and some other languages? Indeed. We had a choice at the time between English and German. What made you choose English? I know, but in CM2, grade 5, so, you know, we, we had an introduction to both languages. And German, I'm sorry, but that sounded too rough. You know, to, yeah. no, English was, okay, smooth, smoother. Ah, okay. More no. smooth, yeah. yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah, I, German was too hard. It's sounding tough. So that would have been in the mid-80s, right, when you were doing yeah. that. So mm-hmm. I recall when I was in the seventh grade, which is like 5 a.m., and I had a choice between German, French, and Spanish. There was French. There's Julia Child and French food and... You know, mm-hmm. ooh la la, and of course you <laughs> French. So it's funny how these choices come about without yeah. much thought. They do make a difference later on. Uh, exactly. But then later on in school, you probably had to study other languages exactly. too. So yeah. what other languages did you... Spanish, Spanish. in quatrième. Okay. So I had the choice at that time to take whether Spanish or German. And my father wanted me to take German because taking German was supposed to help us having a better class, being in a part of a better class okay. in terms of skills. You know, clever, smart kids, uh, successful kids, they have uh, English and German. But at that time, I wanted to do Spanish. Why? Because I told myself, if ever I want to travel, I mean, I go to South America and to speak Spanish, right. not German. So at this age, I had already this idea of uh, traveling and uh, so the field for this. And uh, then I need to learn something consequently, which is Spanish. That would be more helpful for me. And did you keep up with the Spanish? Did you keep learning it? Until baccalaureate, but then I, I stopped. I used it indeed when I went to South America, but after that, no. I grew up in a household where we hosted many foreign students. They mm. would come and stay for a short period of time before they'd go off and work on an agricultural exchange out on some farms. They'd stay with us in the cities. And the German kids who came, I mean, young young adults, they were in their early 20s, they'd come and stay with us for a week. The Dutch and the Germans and the Scandinavians, they all spoke English so well. And yeah. the French would come and wouldn't speak. <laughs> yes. and, and the Spanish, French and the Spanish would come, yeah. wouldn't speak English at yeah. all. Mm. Of course, they'd studied for years, but they weren't comfortable. Mm. And then they'd stay with us again a year later after being in the United States and they'd speak fluently mm. so I thought oh all you have to do is live in the country for a yeah, year and it's yeah. fine but they had a lot of scaffolding built up before they arrived so yeah. it was not just a I year of immersion But I also noticed this German people and North European people they speak very well English They've got all that English television that comes yeah. across the channel. Yeah. So. so did you go through the classic education system? Did you start like in toute petite section? This I don't remember, but I went to, we call it in English, nursery school. Like La Crèche, is that? Uh, or, yeah. Okay, so yeah, and the no. nursery school? Or no. that, that's like garderie? Yeah, I, went, I had a, a nanny. You had a nanny, yes. okay. I was going to a house where there was a nanny, and then I was going there, and then after I went to the kindergarten. So would your first year of kindergarten have been grand section, or would uh, it have been moyenne section? I think it was petite section. Petite section, yeah, okay. Petite, moyen, grand. I think I did the three levels. Right. Petite, yeah, petite section, yeah. And at that time in Le Mans, were most of the people 
at your school would have been from Le Mans. Oh yeah, for centuries. Oh, yeah. uh, very. You know, yes. Le Mans, all, all the surroundings, uh, you know. Right, but right. yeah, yeah. Not extremely diverse, I'm assuming. No. But okay. No. And then, of course, they could primaires, yeah. primary school. Yeah. Now, were you with your brothers? Oh yeah. So you were the eldest, though. So you weren't labeled as one of those chaise boys. Right? <laughs> yeah. Your youngest brother probably got all the teachers knew ahead of time what the assignments were going to be. And yeah. Did you always start in the same school and finish at that school? Did you move around at I all? Know, did you stay- go to the same schools as your brothers? Uh, yeah. Same school as my brothers. Yeah. Very and, uniformed. And your parents still live in the same house that you grew up in. Yeah. Also, yeah. pretty solid. Yes, yeah. yeah, so straightforward. That's actually yeah. Yeah. So that Thinking that's that's this, pretty yeah. stable. I mean, oh, that, it was very that gives you yeah. a stable base, which helps build confidence. I think in a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. But at the time when you did your your back, mm. right? So was it the classic system at the time? Was it ABC? Was it SES? Uh, it was the first year that they implemented the SESL baccalaureate. SES Okay. So I chose S. All right. Scientific. So right. the mathematics kind of orientation in première and then terminal. Did you know what you wanted to do or were you just taking S no. because when you take S, the yeah. thought was you take S, you can yeah. do anything? Yeah, you take S because it's like a king way or something like this. Right, you know, the royal the, path. The yeah. royal path, the royal exactly. Path, yeah. yeah. But no, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that time. Just follow the mainstream kind of. Did your parents have any opinions about that? What did your parents do? My father was the headmaster of an um, agricultural school, and my mother was working in a um, hospital. Okay. Was, uh, an sorry, I don't know the name in English. Aide-soignante, infirmière. She was a nurse's aide? Yes. A nurse's aide. Exactly. Okay. Nurse's aide, yes. and your father was a school principal. Yeah. And what, what age group was the agricultural school for? Was it post-bac? Is it yes. after the baccalauréat? So it was people no, it, studying uh, there were... No, actually, it was before It was before like a baccalauréat. technical baccalauréat? Exactly. Okay. Exactement. Le lycée... Uh, Lycée technique. Lycée école. Okay, and so he, he would have been called an adjoint or a proviseur? Yes, he was responsible du centre de formation d'apprentis. Oh, okay. A responsible of yeah. the apprentice training. <laughs> so uh, a, a background of education and service, yeah. too, you know? Yeah. Civil service, public service, the, that yeah. ethos of community, yeah. which is important, I think. A mm. lot of people, when you grow up in that area, it, mm. it's natural to go into that type of field. So you finished your bac, you did mm. your baccalauréat, and then that big decision... Did you go to the prépa? Indeed. Slave your way through that? Yes, I went to the prépa. I didn't know what to do. And my father was saying, if you don't know, you take the royal path. Then at the end of this class prépa, it will be easy to go wherever you want to go. Apparently, after the prépa, everything's easy. Yeah. So how did that go for you? It was... I was not so good. I mean, the result, my results were quite low. I mean, yes. it was a very demanding program, it's, usually. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's very demanding, a lot of work, but I have great memories and great souvenirs of that time. Yeah. I was playing magic, magic cards. You know, oh, the okay. game. You know the magic? No. It's a card like Pokemon. Okay. But before Pokemon, uh, with more, uh, more uh, powers, more uh, statistics. Okay, so similar, is it similar to like a Dungeons and Dragons games? Yeah. And yeah. you can use the magic cards to... Yes. It's like a following a story. Yes. And, yes. and so you do that with friends? Yeah. And, in the, and during, exchange cards? Yes, yeah. yes. We were doing this. And then I was also playing baby foot. No soccer, baby ah, soccer. Yeah. This. Foosball, we call Foosb- that. Okay. Foosball in English, which I think is German. So it was very demanding in terms of work. Also in terms of confidence, because the results are... I mean, you 
three of 20 after the assessment. Very demanding, but I have good memories because yeah. of other things I could enjoy with my friends. Right. When you go through something challenging with a group of people, that brings you closer to those yeah. people generally, too. Yeah, exactly. And when you have a, yeah. a tight-knit group, yeah. that always brings good things. Yeah. And that's something that I even noticed that with colleagues who arrive at our school for the first time altogether. They tend to bond together, and there seems to be a link. Yeah. So... How, how did that turn out? Did you end up getting the school you wanted? Or? No. So I did the first year, then the second year, and then I doubled the second year. So I did uh, three years in, in Cas Preparatoire. After the second year, I passed many exams. Pass, I mean, didn't get the schools, but I took the tests. And yes. they're like concours, those elimin yes. eliminatory exams. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I had nothing. So I doubled this year. And then the following year, I also took the tests. And I got one or two schools that was private schools, and they were quite expensive. And my father was okay to pay for the scholarships, but I was not okay with that, actually. You didn't but, want him to pay for your school? No, I, I told my... But if you pay for me, then my second brother, if he goes to the private school, you will have to pay. Also, the third one, uh, is a lot of money, right? And also, this is one reason, but the other reason is that during these years in class préparatoire, I could work in a centre aéré, a centre de loisirs. Okay, like a, uh, like a, yeah, like a youth, a youth centre? Exactly. Okay. Yes. And uh, yeah, so, oh, that's nice. We love to prepare activities, be with the kids. And so that, was that your first experience with that working was with kids? It, yes, that All was right. my first experience with kids. And so maybe, actually, maybe that's the path I want to follow. And also, third reason is that I had enough of mathematics. It was too many, too abstract, too intense, too deep. It was enough. I wanted to work, to study and work on other subjects. So that's the reason why I didn't choose the mathematics teacher, math teacher, because I wanted to be more polyvalent. So I thought, uh, yeah, I found my way. So I told my parents, yeah, I don't want to go to this school. I want to go to the university and become a teacher. My father was quite uh, not so happy with this. <laughs> Be but, yeah. I've heard this story before. Disappointment yeah. uh, at wanting to become a teacher, yeah. Yeah. My mother was a teacher, and oh. she was heartbroken when I told her I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> no, oh, really? She wanted you to do something else? Yeah, she wanted me to do something else because she felt that teachers weren't paid enough for the amount of work they put in, and she wanted me to mm. make more money, I guess. But mm. I don't regret the choice. But Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah. I don't regret it. And then uh, they, they were, they, I mean, my, my father was so that I was happy doing the job I'm doing now. So that was okay. I guess his main concern was that I get a job and a proper situation. Following this engineering school was a way to get the situation. So I took some more tests, license, and then the concours to become a primary school teacher. So you finished your third year of prepa, and then mm. you went into university. Yeah. What's your licence? What did you do? Licence de maths. De maths, okay. That was so the most natural thing to do. And you pretty much level. covered most of the coursework sure. in prépa anyway, right? Yeah. So then you did your licence in maths. Now, at the time, what were the initials? Was it UFM or was exactly. it... Exactly. Okay. Yeah, you know very well, Colin. Well, I, ta I talk yeah. to people. I don't know what UFM means, but Institute of something. Yeah, Formation des Maîtres. So oh, it's an Institute of Teacher Training. So yes, it's like, exactly. It's not normal school, because normal school is an old term, but mm. it's the idea of teacher training college. Mm. And so you, you'd go to that school, but you had to pass the concours in order to get access to that school, right? Exactly. Okay. You know very, very well. I exactly had to pass this concours. And those eliminatory tests are based on how many candidates they need, right? Yeah. Sometimes they need a lot, sometimes they need very few, mm. so it just depends on where you end yeah. up. Yeah. But you got in. I got in, yes. I got in in Rennes. 
because I took the test in Brittany right. and also in Pays de la Loire, the region where I'm from. Now, I've heard that currently Brittany is the only place that's letting their people go abroad now, mm. giving detachment, you know, letting them go because mm. so many people want to teach in Brittany because mm. it's a good place to be. Yeah, I don't know if it is the only uh, region in France, but right. for sure at that time in t the years 2000 and till now, yeah, it's one of the regions that allows the teachers to leave. Many people want to yeah. want to, to be in Brittany. In Brittany. There are a lot of challenging schools. The life of a teacher in France can be pretty challenging. I mean, it, the salary's yeah. not high and the classrooms are pretty full yeah. and kids can be challenged. There's a lot going on. So you got in and you were in Rennes mm -hmm. and studied for two years? Yeah, two years. How did that work? Did you have an internship while you were studying? Did you go right into the classroom afterwards? Or did you work as a substitute teacher? The first year of UFM, it's a preparation of the concours, the concours of the primary school teacher. So we stay in the UFM, and then we rent a room or whatever in town. So the first year, you do it without passing the concours. Yeah. So if you study for a year, yeah. and then if you don't pass the concours, mm. can you go back and study another year? That I'm not sure. Okay. I don't think so, no. Okay, okay. Not in the UFM. You can study for the concours, but alone. And then like um, a distance, we would say... Um, uh, distance learning. Yes, yeah. you can um, do that. Correspondence. Yes. Take correspondence courses. All right, so you went for one year, and mm -hmm. then you passed the eliminatory exam, and you succeeded. And the following year is a combination of studies at school and a practice in a class. All right. And we are paid. And you start contributing to your retirement, and you're in the system, and paying yeah, yeah. taxes, and yeah. you're an adult. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> first pay, yes. First salary, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And so one more year, mm. in that's, and did you have a mentor? Do you have more experienced teachers who oversee oh, yeah. and look at what you do? Yeah, during the practices in class we had, yeah, well, there was an experienced teacher that was following us, helping us. And after this second year at the UFM, that's it. For training is over, then you, you get a, a position in a school in, in Ille-Vilaine at that time, so the district right. around Rennes. All right. I've talked in the past with other guests about how they're attributed, the schools that they end up in. And oftentimes you go to very challenging schools in the beginning because you don't have as many points yeah. built up. If exactly. you're single, yeah. you're new, you don't have the experience. Yeah. So what was your first school like? Was it a challenging place to be or was it all right? I was very lucky actually because my first position was in maternelle, so petite section in a kindergarten, with a lady that was becoming a conseiller pédagogique. So I was with her at the beginning of the year. We were two teachers in the class. So I could uh, see how she works, what she was doing on this stuff. And then after uh, one month and a half, she was to become a uh, conseiller pédagogique. So I had to take over and uh, be responsible alone on the whole class. So the first weeks were quite easy. Who is our conseiller pédagogique here at our school? I know Emmanuel Bernet did this job. Yeah, this, this la labeling. He oh, was okay. He pedagogique in uh, Shanghai. Here he doesn't have this name, but oh, I even see. though he's doing this, actually. Okay, conseil pedagogique then is somebody whose mission it is to assist yes. in, in certain facets. So the person you were replacing was becoming a conseil pedagogique, yeah. and so she was still in the building when you took over so that was somebody that you could get advice from as well especially since it was her job to yeah, help you right but she w didn't stay in the building she went to another one. Oh, a different one okay yeah and it was a good experience yeah. and how long did you work at that school 
It's only one year. So at this point, what year is it? How old were you when you taught your first year? 2001, 2002, I had uh, 25 years old. So you taught your first class at 25 years old? The thing you need to know is that in uh, Ile-Vilaine, when you become a primary school teacher in Ile-Vilaine, the position, the class they allow you is a kind of protected class. No, not no big stuff, not in a difficult uh, area or not with uh, extra work to do like managing the school or whatever. So this is for the uh, first year. But the second year, you can get anything. It can be working in specialized school with a very tough kids. It can be having to be the manager of the school. It can be whatever. So at the end of this first year, I kind of told myself, okay, so anyway, I'm going to have uh, something that is not so good as this year that I just passed. So I will choose myself. So in the town I was working at that time, which is Fougères, I knew there was a primary school teachers. We call it in French SECPA, Section d'enseignement général professionnel et adapté. Okay. So in junior high school, a specialized curriculum with kids that have strong difficulties, strong issues with learning. Right. It's like a learning support section. Yeah. SECPA. So I applied. I thought I will probably have something like this. So better me, better I choose where. So I applied to work in this school. And indeed, it was very easy. Nobody wanted to go there. That was a way to trick the system, find the place that you wanted to be by accepting a job that a lot of people would shy away from. Knowing full well what you're getting into, Mm -hmm. it was probably quite rewarding, I imagine. The first year was tough, but then I learned. The following years were much better. How long did you stay there? Three years. Great experience. Fantastic experience. wonderful. Exactly as you said before, when you have tough situations, you create strong bonds, strong connections with the people you are working with. And that's what happened there, because at the time when I arrived in 2002, other, other teachers just arrived too in the right. school. And we worked together and became very close friends. Are you still in touch with these people? Yeah, some oh, of them, great. yes. That's yeah. great. So how long did you stay there? Three years. Three years. And then, so we're up to 2000... 2005. 2005. What was next? I stopped working. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story in there somewhere. Yeah. I used to do some backpacking before okay from the years 2000 i met somebody who was doing backpacking and working in the alliance francaise and some schools abroad my father did his uh, military service in africa so there were kind of seeds in my mind that uh, grew and then okay i want to travel but every time i was uh, traveling i had this limit this return date and I wanted to enjoy something. I have no limit. I can come back to France whenever I want. And the only way was to stop working. So I applied for a year off from my administration. Like the a leave of absence. Yes. They, they call gave... it disponibilité, right? Yeah. Leave of absence, yeah. yeah. They gave it to me, and then I went to travel. I started with India. Then I went to Nepal, Tibet, Hong Kong. Then Southeast Asia, Laos, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. First time I came to Singapore was in 2006. Then Indonesia, I went to Australia. My cousin is still actually living in Sydney, so I could spend some time with her. And then I went to South America, Argentina, Bolivia, um, also wonderful, wonderful Brazil. And then I met my father, who moved from France Metropole to Guyana. He was taking a position there. Oh, really? Yeah. So your dad went to French Guiana? Yeah. All right. And then I came back to France, to Paris, and Le Mans. I came back to work in in Ile-Vilaine, in Rennes. 
I went to SECPA. I applied for another position in SECPA, not in the same school I went before, but in another one, and it was much more difficult than the one before. The kids were very tough. Very I tough. see. So it was a very hard, very tough experience. How was the re-entry after being gone for so a year? So difficult. That must yeah. have, you know, you see your, your world has opened up, and then you're back in France. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Not knowing when the next time you'll be able to get out on the road yeah. like that, that must have been challenging. Yeah, it was. So how long did you last? <laughs> Before, uh, yes, only one year. One year, okay. Yeah. So yeah, one more year, and then what? Actually, I worked only six months. Okay. Because when I came back, I applied for another position we can have, which is you work six months, and then the next six oh, months yes. you can do whatever you want. That's called the mi-temps annualisé. Exactly. That's right, the, yeah, the yearly half-time. So yes. you, work, you work full-time for half a year, and yeah. then you get the rest of the year off. Yeah. Okay. And you are paid half the salary all year. Initially, I had a plan to travel during these six months, but I stayed in France. And I applied for French schools abroad because I realized, actually, no, I don't want to continue working in France. And so you took that half year where you were getting paid half time yeah. and you applied for schools yeah. abroad. Yeah. And is that how you got your job here? No, I got at that time two propositions, one in Dhaka in Bangladesh and another one in Sri Lanka, in Colombo. So I had a phone call with the guys in Bangladesh, as I knew a bit of India. India is a continent, it's a place I really love. So I felt something led me to choose Dhaka. So I went to Dhaka. I worked there for, for two years. Two years? Yes, I worked there for during two years. It's known as a kind of a challenging place to live. Very, very poor. How are the living conditions for an expat? Quite good. I had the salary I, I had in France. And even the, uh, the cost of living is cost, a lot less. Yeah, it's yeah. very low. So and security was okay. Yeah, security was okay. Yes, yeah, just culturally very different from Western countries. Right. I mean, you can't go out to uh, nightclubs. You can't go out even drinking alcohol. Uh, you can't do that. There are no bars. It's much different than even India. I mean, it's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pakistan is yeah. It's its own because it's a Muslim country. So right. Yeah, they, I've never been, but it's, it seems very interesting. So you were there for two years, yeah. and? After these two years... Oh, wait, uh, what were you teaching while I, you were there I for two years? I was teaching in C2, C, uh, CE1, C2, CM1. So, and so your population was mostly French expat kids, or were there local kids in the school as well? There was a combination of both. Okay. There were some local kids, yes. Was it an expensive school? Were there... It was a rich French, families? Yeah, I wouldn't say so rich, but uh, I don't know. It wasn't your everyday average kids from Bangladesh, though. No. They, they would go to yeah, yeah. other schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah mostly, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. And people so working, mostly people working in garment. garment oh, okay. Industry. I see. Yeah. And so after two years in Dakar, where did you go next? I wanted to move. I wanted to find a place with cultural things as I knew. And so I applied in Thailand. Other countries, also Japan, but Thailand recruited me. So I went to Bangkok. Were there colleagues in Bangkok that you have now here in Singapore? Yeah, there is one. Oh, okay. When I met him here in 2017. Hey, hey, that's so cool. <laughs> there are a few people here from Bangkok. Everybody mm. seems to have a good memory of Bangkok. Oh, yeah. And I stayed six years in Bangkok. Is that where you were before you came here? Not exactly. So six years in Bangkok. Did you always teach the same level in Bangkok? I teach in CP and C1. Okay. And grade one and two. What was it like living in Bangkok compared to like Dhaka? In Dhaka, did you live in a neighborhood? Did you live in a compound? Was it a condo or a house? It was not a condo, it was a flat. 
normal flat, normal in, the, flat. in the area of the embassies. I and, see. Yeah. And in Bangkok, was the school located in the city or is it outside of the yeah, city? It's in the city, but quite far from the town center. Do the families live near the school? Not all of them. I see. Yeah. Because getting around Bangkok is quite challenging. Oh, yeah. It's very... Tr- yes, it's... How yeah. did you manage to get around Bangkok? Were you I a motorcycle? A, or? Yeah, I bought a motorbike. Okay. I had my motorbike, so it was very convenient. Okay. Do you still ride? I still ride, yes. Here in Singapore, do you uh, have... Yeah, I do. Okay, good yeah. to know. <laughs> <laughs> you too, you ride? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, we got to talk about that some more. Yes. Yeah. What, do you drive a scooter or a motorcycle? I have a motorcycle. I don't like a scooter. Yeah, okay. No, so what, what do you drive? I drive a Yamaha FZ16. Okay. Yeah, 150. I don't have the license to drive a higher... Um, oh, are you going to get it? got to keep working at it. <laughs> takes no, forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I think it's not so useful to drive in Singapore. So No, but to go across the uh, causeway, it's fun. To go to Malaysia. Huh? Right. Yeah, mm. I went twice this weekend. I go quite a bit. I like riding. So ah. it's my, my petit plaisir. Yeah. Nice. It's my thing. Yeah. Mm. In Bangkok, you worked for six years, and you were teaching Sepe Sewang, you said, and then... And then, after six years, I wanted to come back to France. I you got homesick? It. Yes, I got homesick. <laughs> you needed yes. some riette? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, I needed to come back to France. Okay. But I was not ready to come back to Ille-Vilaine and Rennes, the place I was before. I needed a change. So I changed the district, and I went to Paris. Paris, Entremuros, like yes. the, in the 20 arrondissement? Dans le okay. 5ème, in the 5th arrondissement. I see. La Sorbonne. Uh, How hard is it to change allocations? How hard is it to change from where you were to mm. Paris? It seems like for some regions it's really hard, yeah. others maybe it's easier. Yeah, the usual process is you ask to leave to right. your district, so yeah. they can say yes or no. And then you ask to enter the new district. I don't remember yeah. how it came, but I did a, we call that a permutation. Right. Permutation. So yeah, a transfer, I guess. A transfer. Yeah. yeah. Somebody from Paris wanted to go to Ille-Vilaine. I see. I wanted to go to so Paris. So exchange. Yeah. Just a switch. Oh, okay. And it went like this. Oh, good. Finger easy. in the noise. Very easy. <laughs> the, well, I was very happy to get it was this. A pi- it was a piece of cake. Yes. It was a piece of cake, we said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you switched and you were in Paris. I so, am in Paris. So you're in, you know, the City of Lights, one of yeah. the most amazing cities in the oh, yeah. world, which is a nice consolation. Once you've been traveling the world, it's nice to be yeah. someplace yeah. that's vibrant. Oh, alive. yeah. Amazing place to live, yeah. And what was your experience with Paris up before that? I mean, just visit as a tourist? Or yeah, exactly. Jeff, yeah. You, you weren't a student in Paris ever? No, so. uh, no. Okay. But I was for some weekends or when I was taking the plane, I spent one day, two days, meet a friend there. So where did you live when you lived in Paris? At that time, I lived in the 11th arrondissement oh, okay. uh, okay. near Bastille, and I was working in the 5th. It's a beautiful place to live, and I assume a, a nice place to work, too. Oh, yeah. Um, because people who live in Paris, you know, are generally... Not the hardest to teach, maybe? I don't know. Were you yeah. doing SEGPA again? Or did no, no, you no. It was, classic, uh, uh, it was in CP. CP. Teaching okay. in CP. Yeah. Teaching kids to read. Yes. A noble profession. Yeah. That's a level I love. A grade I love. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's really rewarding. I mean, you see the start of the year, and they don't know how to read. At the end of the year, they yeah. do. It's like, yeah. what could be better yeah. than that? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the word. It's very rewarding. Of course, if they start the year not knowing how to read and they finish not knowing how to read, that, that can, yeah, hurt. That can uh, hurt. That, that can be painful. So, yes. <laughs> so you know, there's no, there's no guarantees. But, uh, and so Paris, good souvenirs, good... Good souvenirs, yeah. Good but, memories. But um, very expensive. It is, yeah. 
And so, how long did you stay in Paris? One year. Just one year? Yeah, just one oh, year. I see. I was happy to be back, and at the same time, not ready to stay long. So, I applied to some specific schools abroad, where I really wanted to teach one day. And Singapore was among these schools. So, I applied to the IFS. And I knew already the IFS, because when I was in Bangkok, I had a training here. So ah, I, yes. I had a taste of the school and also the reputation of the IFS in Bangkok was excellent. Like IFS is the driving school yeah. in the whole Asia. So it's got a good reputation. Yeah, very good Deservedly reputation. Deservedly so, I believe. And so you applied and you got yeah, hired. Yeah, I got, I got hired. So how long have you been here now? About seven years. It was seven in 2016. Yeah, 2016. Years. Yes. Now, we were talking about being attributed to a certain region, working in a different area. So you started off near um, Rennes, mm. Rennes mm. and then yeah. you're in Paris. Mm. And now you're here, and obviously you had to ask for a leave of absence. But I think mm. I remember talking to you about you having to make a difficult choice eventually, right? Last year, yeah. So I, uh, you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So um, last year, Paris wanted me to come back. So I had to negotiate, no, not negotiate, but talk with them. And so they allowed me this year, another year. Oh, okay. They don't want to lose you. They want you to come back. Yeah, they want me to come back. So you're still dealing with that. That's a difficult choice, I imagine. Yeah. And this year, I could get another year, another leave. They're willing to let you go for another year? Yes. Okay. Yes. And but have you made your decision? Yes, I made it. So I will stay here. Good for us. Thank you. <laughs> And next year will be the last. I won't be able to ask for You won't for be able any, to extend. No, I won't be able to extend. I see. I so see. the n- big choice will be next year. But I was very happy that uh, I could have these two extra years, uh, last year and this one. Right. Very grateful for my administration in Paris that accepted this. Well, that's good. I think we should be grateful too. I mean, you've been here seven years, right? Mm. And you have been busy. I mean, I know you've worked as a, a teacher rep mm-hmm. and you do a lot. Mm. at the school. Mm. What have been some of the highlights for you while you've been here? I've worked as a teacher rep for five years. And then two years ago, I became the um, coordinator of the anti-bullying team. Anti-intimidation. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I deal with the, the situation that are reported to us. It's a, it's a really unique system that we have at our school. It's a commission, right? Or, mm. And kids can come and talk about situations, but it's a non-judgmental program where kids aren't accused of bullying and brought in and punished. It takes a while for people to understand how it functions, I think. Mm. It's slowly catching on. I don't know, do you Mm. have any thoughts on this? Your experience? The reason I ask is because I do podcasts with kids in the classroom, and this was one of the topics that the kids brought up. Mm. They talked about how this anti-intimidation thing, sometimes parents feel that their kids are being bullied and they want that kid brought in and punished, but mm. that's not how it works, is it? No. How, can you tell us a little bit about how it so works? So when parents have a doubt uh, about the situation of, the, of their child, they contact us, whether by contacting first the teacher that then follow the mail to us or with the management. And uh, so we have, we, I say we because I'm working with Milan Locatelli, right. which is the coordinator for the secondary school. Right. She's also the head nurse of, yeah, the, yeah. of the secondary school. So our protocol is a non-blaming protocol. Right. So indeed, we do not punish, we do not blame anybody. So our objectives are first towards the target, the child. Our objective is to support, to bring support, and to reassure him or her. 
giving our full support so that's saying that we will do whatever we need to do so that this situation stops that's the first meeting we have with a child or the student and then we have other meeting other interviews with all the kids involved in this intimidation and we try to raise concern so we say something like yeah i know that uh, your classmate is not feeling well these days what can you tell us about this so most of the time, the kids, they will say, yeah, I see, he's not feeling happy, he feels sad. Sometimes they won't say a word. I imagine this gives them the opportunity to help be part of a supportive community mm-hmm. where, where maybe they don't feel like they have anything to say, it's not their business, but when you ask them about it mm-hmm. and then they see that mm-hmm. this kid is feeling down mm-hmm. or there's a problem, mm-hmm. that in some sense, gives them permission to you know, put a hand on a shoulder and be reassuring, that's which ex- is what a community is all about. You know? Yeah, that's exactly what we are doing. And it brings also awareness to them. So once this concern is shared, then we try to find solutions. But we are not the ones proposing the solutions. The solutions come from the kids themselves. So they have to propose things so that the situation improves. And at the young age, it seems very naive. Sometimes they say, oh, I will ask him how he feels. It's so naive, so naive, but it works. Right. And then we have two or three others meetings with these bulliers. Yeah. Intimidators. The intimidators. intimidators. That's yeah. the word we use in French, yes. <laughs> yeah. And during these other meetings, we just check in a way that what the child said has been applied. I think it's really important for us to keep in mind that a child who's intimidating someone else, it's not because they're evil. It's because they have something going on as well. So it's just as important to help Mm. the intimidator, Mm. even though the person who is being intimidated is, quote-unquote, the victim. Mm. They're both victims in some sense. So it's important to be non-judgmental and be there to give the tools for them to get over it. But this is a new concept. I mean, we Mm. didn't grow up with this. Mm. The parents of our students didn't grow up with this. There are rules. You follow the rules. The person who breaks the rules gets punished. Mm. End of story. So, So I've seen that there have been challenges with parents who are dissatisfied with the results because there wasn't a punishment. But at the same time, I've seen some great success stories, too. The the reason why there is no punishment is because there is a risk of a reprisaille. Oh, yes. If you punish the guy... uh, revenge. A revenge. Yeah, Yeah. getting revenge, right. If you punish one child, so he can can say, ah, I've been punished. And it's your fault, yeah. Yeah, That's your fault. Exactly. The the other problem is which punition, which, which fair punition can you find? Right, what punishment is fair and... When it gets into he says, she says, a lot of times it's feelings, you know, and Mm. feelings aren't facts. I Mm. mean, Mm. a lot of times you're dealing with feelings and Mm. somebody may feel intimidated and that's valid, Mm. even if somebody else wouldn't feel intimidated in the same situation. So, And you were talking about victims before, but the the intimidators are also, in a way, taken in in a trap. Right. There is a group effect. Right. And they don't know how to get out of this group effect. And we allow them. To go out of this. That's right. Leave the this system kind of system. Yeah, and a lot of kids who just stand by and and watch, they're afraid that if they get involved, they are going to be the next victim. Exactly. So, yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a great challenge, and you dive right into that. And so that's something I've been impressed with when I've seen you around school. You're always involved in things mm. going on, and that's wonderful. What other things jump to your mind? Your <laughs> highlights of IFS and uh, F? No, <clears throat> no. 
These already these two things That's are already <laughs> yes. So what do you do outside of school for, yeah. just for you? I just swim. Okay. I like swimming. I played a bit the guitar. Oh great! Now I resume. Yeah, taking it yeah. up again. I guess I watched a concert not long ago. Oh, you did? The, yeah, like Jean-Jacques Goldman, something. Uh, I heard something about that, yeah. <laughs> the, like yeah that's nice. It's so much pleasure looking at them playing on the... It's fun. That's it's so fun. fun. I tell you, what we got to do is we got to go for a motorcycle ride and then have a jam session. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what type of music do you like to play? Just a pop, like a French variety. And you play with friends or are you still just on your own for now? No, I need to, to catch up. With you need the, to catch up. Yeah, so I just practice on my own for now. Yeah, that's fun. So play a little guitar. What kind of swimming do you do? Like I, do you train or? Yeah, freestyle. Freestyle. Yeah, where, I, do you, where do you swim? Do you go to like a I go club to, a, yeah, to a public swimming pools here uh-huh. in Hugang, by okay. my house. Sometimes I go to the uh, CBC. Uh-huh. Aquatic center, yeah, no, just freestyle, 1K, uh, 1.5, something like this. And do you, you ever swim in the ocean? Yes, I did that sometimes, yes. Yeah, but I, big distances, yeah. A couple of months ago, there was a jellyfish in Sentosa. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you hear, yeah. And that, yeah, like one, a, bit, a box jellyfish, one of those deadly ones. Yeah. yeah. So that just, no, I don't want to go there. And so what do you generally do in your free time? Swimming, a little bit of guitar? Yeah, I read. I love reading. reading. I draw also. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I used to dance also. All right. Well, yeah. you know, I've talked to a lot of people who dance. What kind of dancing? Was it uh, I dance salsa or ballroom? Or? Yeah, yeah, kizomba. Oh, I don't know what that Kizomba is. Kizomba is, is a dance from uh, Africa. Oh, African okay. dance, Angola, to be precise. So it's a couple dance, quite uh, close how together. Did you, uh, how did you get started doing that? Ah, and that's not something start? that you just fall into. There's no. got to be a story there. Yeah, but which, how? Uh, it was in Bangkok. I first started to learn salsa bachata. Yeah, I learned a couple of months. But then, you know, with the music, I don't know, I didn't enjoy so much. Why did I choose Kizomba? I can't say, really. I can't remember. Okay. But uh, there was a lesson, proposed a course, uh, yeah, not a lesson, but... Uh, some like a class? A class. Something. Okay. Yes, yeah. A class proposed in Bangkok. I went there. And I loved it, yeah. And you still have an opportunity to uh, this practice? I, yeah, here in Singapore, yes, before the pandemic, yes. And now I'm resuming Kizomba, right. so I want to come back to the socials. I love having these conversations because I feel like I know you. We've talked many times in the past, but I've learned a uh, hundred new things about you today. It's a unique conversation because mm. how often do you sit face-to-face with somebody yeah. for an hour and just go through your whole life yeah yeah and uh, i want to thank you for that oh it's my pleasure indeed it's very unique you don't have so many opportunities to just sit and talk like this yeah about life what happened in the past and you know a lot of people are i'm saying this you know just because we're talking about it but also for people who are listening at home wondering you know what motivates people to do this it's actually it feels natural when you're sitting and just having a conversation Mm. and i've never been bored Mm-hmm. talking to people like this and I go back and I edit these conversations and I take out the ums and the buts and the swear words not that there are any <laughs> so I get to listen to the conversations several times and I'm always fascinated with the things I hear not the things that I say but <laughs> the things that I hear over and over again I really appreciate you coming in and talking because it takes time mm. something that's in short supply but it also takes a certain trust Mm. that you're not going to be misrepresented or or poorly judged by people listening on the other mm. end because, you know, it is what it is. It's a vulnerability situation. And I think in our school, we're lucky because 
at the end of the day, I think we all want to support each other. It doesn't always feel like that, but I think globally, that's been my experience. Parents, teachers, staff, colleagues, everybody. So, I agree. Well, Jérôme Chez, thank you for sitting down with me on this Monday, July 3rd, 2023. And it's been a real pleasure. Talk thank, to you again soon. Thank you very much, Colin. All right. Bye now. This has been Parkour Ed with Colin Daly. If you enjoyed today's show, consider giving it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you'd like to be interviewed or if you have questions about anything, feel free to contact me at colindaly at gmail.com. That's C-O-L-I-N-D-A-I-L-E-Y at gmail.com.